0: What is happening everybody, we're back again, another episode of Off Track Experience, we're up here in Palm Beach, we just set up a little studio in the new place I'm staying at, life is good at the moment, life has been really good, a lot of of positives coming out of the move and like a lot of motivation and like good people to be around and connection and just in a really good spot in my life right now and really enjoying all the new adventures and activities and sports and everything I get to do so just been running on a bit of a high lately and I thought why not jump back into the podcast and start talking to people because when I'm in this mood or mindset and then I try and talk to positive people I think yeah I think anyone listening can get a lot out of it so I've got Cooper Chapman coming in today uh, the founder of the Good Humans Factory he's um he's someone I've followed for a while now and kind of someone that I look is kind of a bit further ahead of where I'm at with my life he was a pro surfer and then he turned into this kind of gratitude mindset holistic approach to helping other people and that's something that I truly truly believe is like a positive that can be shared with so many different people and something I can see myself doing in the future and obviously racing is no longer the main focus so it's been someone I've been following for a while and kind of looked up to with how how positive he is and how he carries himself through the world so now that I moved up to uh to the Gold Coast I've linked up with him and met him a couple of times and thought, hey, why not come jump on the podcast and, yeah, just share some good energy, some good uh, good advice and try and get everyone a little bit pumped up and kind of make everyone stop and think a little bit how they can help other people and how that will in turn actually make you help yourself. So I really hope you guys enjoy this podcast. I think it's going to be a good one. And, yeah, here you go, guys. Keep it chatting. Go straight into asking
1: questions. what was
0: the what was the book you're reading
1: oh it's called um, Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink and um, Leif Babin these two Navy SEALs but it's all about how a lot of the stuff from the military crosses over into business mm. where it's like and I'd never thought of this until the other day where like employing a lot of people like you can only strategically not boss around but strategically manage mm. like four to six people and then you have to learn how to like manage them but give them clear enough and simple enough instructions so that mm. they can manage the people below them the next six. And it's like, it turns into this big the spider the web. Yeah, and the brand. I was like, oh, it's so true. Like instead of trying to be over everything, you have to just be really clear and concise with the few that you can mm. and then train them into being able to understanding like the key vision of the overall like business. So it's like, I'm learning that now that you can't just give someone a job and expect them to know how to do it you have to like really train them to do it how you want them to do it
0: because it actually is hard to get prop like good help like really good help and like it takes years i think it's like when you see mentorship or training it's like it's not something that just happens it's like years and years and years and years and Mm -hmm. i yeah i get the military thing obviously you got like your general and then it like makes its way down but they each level of that just deals with the people they need to deal with Mm -hmm. kind of thing. they don't really deal with the broad range of everyone
1: yeah it's like you have to learn perspective so much it's like Mm. you got to be like oh they're not doing their job that's like wait a second maybe I haven't given them clear enough instructions to do the job that I want them to do anyway so I'm like learning so much on how to take like accountability and like take ownership of the downfalls of the people around me that it's actually my fault for not giving clear enough instructions not their fault for not doing what i expect of them
0: yeah i get you do you ever it's like, like yeah, do you ever forget as well like you take yourself out of what it was like to be them in that time mm. as well like beginning something mm. new it's like you almost don't want to do the wrong thing so that kind of freezes you into doing nothing yeah and then you're like well you didn't tell me what to do And it's like oh but you should assume but like but if i assumed it was wrong then you'd be angrier yeah so it's like that weird balance of like yeah knowing enough but then actually doing yeah i guess because
1: you want to stand out as well don't you like you'd want to like well and that's and that's what the, it says in this book is like you, the people below you should never ask for, for permission. They should tell you what they're going to do and why they're going to do it, mm. not ask like, oh, can I do this or should I do this? It's like, well, I'm not employing you to ask me how to do the job. Mm. It's like So it's like t- trying to train someone so that they can make critical decisions themselves mm. and then tell you what they've done and why, not can I do this or should I do this. Yeah. It's like, well... It ends up being a, you doing it yourself anyway. Well,
0: it's more of a transaction that way, isn't it? Where it's like you'll get this, this, and this for this. Mm. In a way, I noticed that when i do video parts and I'd go to like sponsors and be like, "Oh, I want to do a video part," and they're like, "Cool, what do we get? Yeah, how long is it? How much is going to cost?" Like, you you need to give them like a structured document yeah. to say, "This is what it costs. This is what we're getting." And then like yes or no. Yeah, it makes it easier for them then. But if mm. you say you said, "Oh, do you want to do something?" It's like kind of bit of open ended question there where you kind of don't have an answer like yeah yeah it's,
1: yes it's, but what what are we getting Yeah you need it? to show initiative it's yeah. eh? it's 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 a, it's a hard one cuz you need to learn as well as a leader to teach your staff to be able to ha- make those decisions so they're not scared mm. like you said not pra- paralyzed by the fear of am i doing something wrong so mm. it's like yeah to learning to, like, run a business is fucking... There's so much more to it than you, like, think when you start. It's like, oh, I want to be the friendly, cool boss. But it's like, I don't even want to be a boss. I just want, like, the people around me to know how to, yeah, have the same vision as me and then it's all good. But Because you do
0: see high achievers in business and, like, they don't stop. Like, they mm. don't turn off. Like, they're always... Obviously, they're at the top and they're wealthy and they've got all the things that you assume you'd want at that point. But, like, your brain is always going and you're always trying to micromanage, I guess, a million different things.
1: And that's when a good leader only has to manage the, like, five people below them Mm. and have really clear, concise sort of instructions to them. And then they spread it down to their next people and then they spread it down. So it's like, Mm. it just depends on the size. But,
0: Mm. yeah,
1: reading that military stuff, like, fascinates me. Like, Navy SEALs, like, the way that they can execute such dangerous and big plans. Like, there's so much structure to it that you don't think. You think it's just like, oh, they just go and do this. It's like, no, there's, like so many levels to everything
0: mm. and then i think even with them as well like in the high pressure situation that they're, they're doing them as well it's like mm. you're not only doing something so complex it's like it's life or death situation you've got to be dealing with like when yeah. uh, just say in our do just say the podcast or like something. get stressed out about it, you might not get the views you want which in return you're not going to get the money but you're not going to die like yeah, it doesn't, yeah re- like it doesn't really matter consequences aren't that high no no <laughs> yeah. not at all um all right we'll jump into it so I really like, I've mean, been wanting to talk to you for a while and it was, I didn't really like know your backstory so much. And I still kind of don't, but I, I I knew obviously you surfed and you're really good at it, but I didn't know the whole pro surfer thing. And you shared a clip the other day about, I guess your identity getting built into that. And it was just something I really kind of resonated with because I guess you're further down the line of where I kind of feel like I'm going in a certain way. So I saw that and I was like, okay, I I feel a similar way to that and I see how you can view the sport you do or the thing you're good at is like your entire identity and mm. like life. And when that's taken away, I think a lot of, especially pro athletes, they feel a bit lost and don't know what to do. And I guess what I wanted to find out with you is firstly, I guess how you got into becoming a pro athlete and then kind of move forward into the fact like once you kind of realized getting out of it mm. and, what, and what your mindset was like when you entered it and it was like, this is everything I want to be and everything I want to do. And then like kind of the shift as that kind of went on. Yeah. No, it's a
1: a very deep question, but I I just love, no, I think it's cool where you started that it was from you, like resharing something that I posted. And it was really funny how that, how that day panned out. Cause I got to work and I work um, with my business, a good human factory out of the fist handwear headquarters at, at Burley. And I was in there and Sam Moore, who I'm sure probably some of your listeners might know, but Sam Moore, who's the owner of Fierce, who's a great friend of mine, was like, dude, you've got to meet this guy, this friend of ours, Dean, he's going to be your new best friend. Like, I know, like, you and I know Dean and you guys are going to love each other. And he's like, here, look, his name's um, Dinos Mykonos on, on on Instagram. And I was like, wait, he reshared shared something of mine this morning. And I was like, isn't it crazy? And he's like, he's yeah. coming in later today. And I was like, fuck, how crazy? He's like... Like, you wouldn't have even known that I worked out of there. No, I no that you were idea, gonna meet yeah. You probably didn't even know that I had anything to do with Fist even. No, nah, <laughs> I, I
0: knew, like, I knew the Good Humans Factory and all that, but I didn't know you were based out of there. Mm. So when that happened, I was kind of like, it was a bit of a trip. And also on top of that, so I, didn't, I didn't like, know of Harry Bink, but I don't know Harry Bink. Yeah. And I listened to the Gypsy Tales podcast, and at the start of the Gypsy Tales podcast, he's like, do you know Dean Lucas? Because they're talking about the Wim Hof, and I was, like, a big advocate to push Jace into doing that. And it was just funny that he brought up, oh, do you know Dean Lucas? And then I listened to that th- that day as well after meeting Harry and you. And I was like, this is a weird coincidence of like <laughs> people coming together. It's in no
1: coincidences; It's a universe oh, putting us man. all together. And you just moved to the Goldie. Hey? How good's that? Yeah, yeah welcome. yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. No, I'm finally up here as well. I've been wanting to do this since 2019 and it just like finally panned out now. And I've only been up here two weeks and it's, yeah. Mate,
1: I'm glad I did it. Me too. I mean, I, I will get back to your question. But <laughs> that's like me with like being a pro surfer. I've always had Surfing Australia has like, the high performance training center at Casuarina which I've been on scholarship since I was like 16 and had access to the facility and the coaches. And I'd kind of always had this, I don't know what you'd call it. I had always had this like, Oh, I don't want to move to the Goldie. Like I grew up in Sydney's Northern beaches, beautiful part of the world at North Narrabeen. And, I was always like, oh, I can't afford to do it. Like, Mm. oh, it's not really the place for me. Whereas looking back when I was in my early 20s getting paid good money to surf, that was what I should have been spending the money on, relocating and Mm. being up around the training center and up here. And then when COVID hit and everything slowed down for my surf comps, that's what pushed me to change and move up to Byron and then Kingscliff and now the Gold Coast. And it was funny that it like wasn't even really for surfing that I moved up here. It was like not for surfing, and now that I'm up here, I'm like, fuck! Why did I not move up here so much longer ago? It's so good.
0: Yeah, I, I I fully get that mentality of like when when you are an athlete and you do actually have the money to put it back into yourself. In that sense of like being up, like you should just put like if you're putting in investing in yourself. In like obviously locations, massive because it plays such a big mm. like especially here opportunities. Like the, yeah, the opportunities that are here and the, the people and the environment, the mindset and the I feel like when you're up here, like you're driven to do more and it's not from anyone saying anything, but it's just how people are. Mm. Even just like getting up, you go to the beach at 4am man, and it's packed with yeah. people like running, surfing, like just going. And I guess back where I was from, it was a bit more of a... It's just Honestly, the temperature, the temperature plays a massive difference and I think that just is like a good ecosystem for people to get up and get after it kind of thing where like if it's you're up at the snow or somewhere cold, everyone's like yeah. just going to stay inside and be by the fire.
1: Well, it's, it's crazy how much the temperature affects your mood. Like you see people here like you said four o'clock or like between five and seven you can get up you can go for like a long walk grab a coffee go for a surf bloody read your book do your meditation breath work and then it's 7.30 in the morning and you've had like three hours of daylight to sort of get everything you need to do to fill your own cup and then you can sort of get a after the day and I feel like that's a like lifestyle that we've now built into our life by living on the Gold Coast it's um yeah it's been a massive change but I love it up here but back to your question um, so the identity yeah thing. We, we go off topic all the time no, no, this fine, is great fine. i love it um so yeah I've, I've been a professional surfer for quite some time started surfing when i was pretty young at like eight nine i guess how we all start, and had quite a lot of success as a junior and without really knowing because of the kind of early success that's where i based all of my identity around because Mm. when you're successful in a sport you kind of all your friends know you as Mm. oh for me it was like oh cooper chapman like cooper the pro surfer like he's our mate the pro surfer so all your friends identify you as the surfer all the people closest to me around me my family um my local beach where i surf like everyone sees me as successful junior and Mm. i buy into it just by the by of that's what everyone else sees me was, as. So was I, there
0: something before surfing that, like, you were really good at that, or was that, like, the first thing that kind of separated you from everything else? Like, were you, like, did you, like, just say, did you play an instrument or something? Or was there another skill you had before it was surfing or was surfing just, like, the the start that you kind of like, really up?
1: good at the clarinet. No, no, no. i no, <laughs> just joking. I played rugby union. Yeah. I played rugby union at pretty high level, like, from – five or six I started playing rugby union until I was like thirteen and made it to some rep teams, like played for um our like local rep team with a few big players who are now in the NRL and guys who are in the wallabies. So I really loved my football and did have a lot of success at a young age. So I was always just a hyper competitive kid and then Surfing came around and I fell in love with the ocean, and that went from like team sport success to individual sport success is a bit different. That's, I feel like, once again, your identity gets even more wrapped in the um, individual, and everyone's praising you, not the team. Which is something else I've noticed since kind of coming to the tail end of my sport is when you're an athlete, everybody around you is focused on you succeeding. Mm. Your coaches, you winning is them winning. Mm. You losing is them losing. Like, everybody in your inner circle is focused on making you succeed because that means they succeed. And then I think a lot of athletes get trapped that once they finish their career, it's like, wait a second, nobody like nobody cares about me anymore. Not yeah. that they don't care about you, but nobody's focusing on me succeeding yeah, it's anymore. It's not the same level as what you'd have. Yeah, so it's like you go from, like, the physio is wanting you to get better so you can do well. Everyone wants you to do it. And then you, like, finish competing and you're like, oh, now... Nobody really cares if I'm doing well or not. It's on to the next kid who's doing well. Mm. So I think that was like a big interesting identity one. But so I'll go back to kind of the story. So after my junior career, I went from like the top junior in Australia to the international tour in surfing, which is called the qualifying series. And I went from, yeah, the sort of top three juniors in Australia to ranked like a hundred in the world. Mm. And my own expectations were that I was going to be higher than that. So I started to feel like I was failing and I felt like, Oh, because my surfing's not doing well, I'm failing as a person. And that sent me on like through my early twenties was just on this like path of just confusion. Like, Oh, who am I if I'm not doing well in my surf comps? And I think because of that, I always had a pretty c- good understanding that surfing wasn't going to be forever. Mm. Once I sort of hit that mid of the p- middle of the pack throughout my early twenties, I was like, Hmm, I was pretty real about it. I was like, I'm definitely not a world title guy. Like, that's massive to get to that level. Did
0: you stop looking at just the experience of what you were doing as, like, something to pull happiness out of? Or did you just kind of go fully result-based as, like, my results aren't good, so this whole experience is, like, kind of tainted in a way?
1: Yeah, pretty much. And I think a lot of athletes do that. Like, I look back at my early 20s. I used to, like, go to an event in Brazil surf and losing the second round on like the second out of a seven day waiting period event and i'd change my flight and fly home and now i look back at and i'm like i was like in beautiful countries all around the world and i'd pay money to mm. leave early yeah like it's crazy like i just didn't understand that like the privilege that i had back then whereas the back half of my career where i started to i think mature and really understand the opportunity i had i began to go like wait a second I can either be sour that I lost or I can support all my friends who are trying to achieve the same thing as me and be stoked when they win. It's like, mm. do I want one chance to be happy when I succeed or do I want 10 chances to be happy when the 10 best mates of mine who are just working as hard as I am to succeed, succeed? It's like yeah, the mindset shift was so big for me and I think it was a big maturity change. And for me, it all came when I lost my sponsor, which was a huge one for that identity thing of I was sponsored by a Hurley for seven years. And then I had my best year on the qualifying tour. I think I got 23rd and the top 10 make it mm. out of like 500. So it's like I'd had a pretty good year. I was ranked like 50th in the, on the planet in surfing. Mm. And then my, I think I was 23 at the time or 24 maybe. And my sponsor was like, oh, we don't think you're going to get to that top 10 spot. So we can't sponsor you anymore. We want to put you on the regional team and pay you five grand a year from 50 so i like Mm. dropped like 95 percent of my contract and was like yeah we want you to be the regional guy Mm. so my identity is all based in this pro surfer and then my own sponsor tells me we don't think you're good enough Mm. and that was such a hard one to deal with that was like a manager telling me oh don't worry you we'll find you another one like you're doing well And then nobody else coming to the table and that was hard.
0: It's like the validation of what you think your dream should be is just taken away because someone else doesn't see it. Like you see it.
1: But, and then all the other people, like your friends, your family, they all think, Oh, well he doesn't have a sponsor anymore. Like in like peeling those stickers off your board is a hard thing to do when you're so entrenched in it. And Mm. that was a tricky one for me. When that happened to me, I kind of had to make a decision I need to make up $50,000 a year to be able to travel the world to co- chase this surfing, and I have to do it off my own bat now. So for me, that was, like, such a weird time. I was, was that like, a
0: motivator, though? Because it was like, I think you either have the, you can go into that mindset of, all right, poor me, I've lost my sponsors, I'm not going to do it. Is it going to be harder? Or you go, I'm going to prove that I can still do this. Was that something that you kind of felt both sides of that?
1: I definitely felt both sides. And I think you always hear people go, like, the mindset of like, screw it, I'm going to prove them wrong. But I think there's always still that underlying feeling of maybe like, they're right. Maybe, maybe I'm not good enough. And to be honest, that probably plagued me for the rest of my career until I got to the point where I was like, even if I'm not, then who cares? I'm like, even if I'm not good enough at surfing, then who am I to not be happy? I was like, who am I to not still live a fulfilled and happy life just because I can't go out, and win a surf comp Mm. and make the sponsors and the fans happy. It's like, well, how do I still make myself happy? And that's what was a big changer for me when I was kind of right around when I lost my sponsor, my sports site kind of said to me, what are your values? And I was like, "Mm, I don't really know. And he's like, well, if you, I said to you right now, what are your values? I was like, I guess like kindness, respect, honesty, those kind of three core key ones that we all hear and think of. And he said, yeah, but how well are you living to them? And that made me kind of really reflect on my life and go, yeah, maybe I'm not really like, like I res- uh, kindness is a value that I admire, but am I really being kind to people? Am I really being kind to myself? Am I mm. really being kind to the environment? Mm. And then it kind of sent me on this realization that I can kind of find fulfillment and joy in life without winning a surf comp. Mm. I can find it in being really nice to somebody. I can find it in, being grateful i can find it in being mindful i can find it in all these different ways other than just being successful as an athlete or being successful in my career and and, the,
0: and this really sank in when you had this when when like the kind of sponsors was gone was gone and you were with the sports psych and that was when it kind of when he asked that question that kind of made you step back and think about it deeper i guess
1: yeah yeah, yeah. and that, that from then it took me definitely took me like a year or two to really start overcoming those internal voices of like, no, you're not good enough. Oh, up to being like, wait a second, you're traveling the world surfing. There's 99.999% of the population would Mm. trade everything to live the life you live. And Mm. you're traveling around unhappy. Mm. Like what's like, what am I doing wrong here? And then one of the biggest things that changed for me was gratitude. I started to like get to locations and be like, fuck, how good is this? I'm like going surfing for a living. I'm doing competitions and getting paid money to ride a surfboard. Like, I've you, won. You, Whether you, I win yeah, or not, I've yeah. won. When like, you
0: say it out loud like that, and especially sometimes I'll tell people what I do, and like their eyes will light up because they'll be like, that's like that's the dream. And I was like, it actually works. And they don't like, care if
1: you win or not.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, you're already winning, man. Like, just the fact you get someone else is paying you to get on a plane and go across the world for free, like, just that is a win. Mm. Like, that is a win. But so often we complain about... Oh man, I got this long flight. It's like you start looking at at all these negatives that come from it. When once upon a time, like I remember when I first went to Europe to race, you know, I couldn't sleep. I was like, like you're antsy. You want to like you want to go. And then over time, obviously, through a million different things, it kind of becomes something that almost becomes like a chore. Yeah, and a at, job. Yeah, and you, then you lose that gratitude for it. And you don't. So I think that's like you just need to stop and actually. I guess that's the whole idea of mindfulness and gratitude: stopping and actually really thinking about where you're at. And, like you said, almost how many, not even how many people would give to be in that situation, but how much your younger self would give to be in that situation. Mm. Like, you think, I always think back to like 14 year old me or 13 year old me. And I was like, he'd be pretty damn pumped of where like I've gotten to and what I've done. Yeah. So I'm like, be happy. You've, you've achieved the kind of dream in that sense and you've done it in a way that you wanted to do it. So it's like, you're already winning. And then the rest is just a bonus kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Like, now I look back at it and I'm like, Oh I wish I got onto the like for surfing the kind of goal is to get on that top 32 in the world that's like the elite of the elite and I never got there and it's something that for a long time I was like I felt disappointed but now I look at my surf career and I'm like from the age of 14 to the age of 28 I traveled the world and went surfing with guys like it's ridiculous <laughs> like and I'd like people spend their whole year working on a job site to save enough money to go on a two-week holiday, like, I was going on six to eight months of travel a year, like, I won, like, why do I look at it like I didn't achieve what I set out to do, like, not everyone's going to be the world champ, and what I began to realise towards the back half of my career without, like, to not get disappointed in results is, if I give it my absolute 100%, it's just me versus me, like, Mm -hmm. I can't control how good other people do, like, if i put in enough work that i'm happy to lose then mm. that's fine
0: but how does that feel it's almost letting go like once you get to that point where if you know you're going to if you give 100% and it doesn't work out you've got to be happy in the sense that you gave 100% like the amount of times where i'll crash giving 100% but that was my 100% it didn't work out but i gave it everything that feels better than giving 70% like literally kind of giving up And, like, giving up to yourself because you know your level of 100% and for whatever reason you don't give it, that's why – but you'll do well. Like, I've done well. Like, I've done really well and I haven't given 100%. It doesn't feel good Yeah. because that's, like, it's you versus you. Mm. The result sheet doesn't matter. If you're giving 100% in whatever you're doing, that should be enough, even if it isn't enough on a piece of paper or where you think you should be. Because I I heard this thing the other day where it talks about, like, what is enough for you? And they they interviewed – like a heap of different millionaires and like what is enough money what what amount of money would you need to be happy and they all just said like millions more and all this stuff and i was like like it's it's a loop it's like you're never going to be happy from that if you're not happy in it now so Mm. it's like you're looking at something that you're actually never going to get to so it's like you've got to ask yourself in so many sense like what is enough like just being over there surfing in another country like that should be enough for someone Mm. it's like everything after that like the results and like the competition is like a bonus but i think it's like if you ask yourself that question with so many things like what's enough love you need or what's enough like sport or what's enough anything and it's like once you figure out that it's like okay well let's just like work to that standard instead of trying to like next 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 it's like never being
1: actually like satisfied in that moment it's a really fine balance as well though because I feel like the more that I've got to this mindset of like it's all good Mm. I feel like it's taken away from my competitive drive it's maybe not really care and And that's why I
0: was really interested because I was I even at the moment I'm trying to reinvigorate that like competitive side but also do it in a way where I'm having fun and want to be there and like kind of I just want to have fun again like and obviously when you were competing in that tunnel vision mode where you like nothing else matters I've got to win and like you've got to be all this you miss out on so much like life but then when you enjoy life it almost takes away from the competitiveness (laughs) it's it's a
1: balance it's such a balance and it's like yeah you just have to be like content with the decisions you make like and not second guess them which can be so fucking hard. and I think that's just
0: understanding (laughs) yourself man like I have no coming up here like I've kind of changed my like literally whole world and like how I'm going to train and everything and how I'm going to do the things I know and it's like knowing yourself enough to go okay this should work for me and that's just analyzing I guess past events that you've done and reactions you've had to things but I know recently I was like again like how you said like I'm not enjoying this this isn't where I need to be going like I I stopped and thought this year I'm like am I not enjoying this because I'm doing really shit at it and I'm not giving a hundred percent or do I actually not like it anymore? Mm. So it's like that whole thing. It's like, if I was winning, well like, would I like it? Or if I was like changing where I live, would I like it more? If I was doing this more, like being like all these different things and I kind of analyzed all that. And then I'm like, okay, going forward now let's build the kind of build it in a way that does work in all things. But like you said, it's just a massive balancing act of like yeah. what's too much here and what's not enough there.
1: Yeah. It's just like asking yourself real honest questions. Like what do I really want? Like what, Am I trying to achieve? And that's what, towards the end of my career, I was like, wait a second, even if I get onto that world tour, I might be there for a year, and that sends me back to being 30 and having to sort of start the next chapter of my life. And I've always been very aware that surfing and, for most of us, sport, an elite-level sport, is your 20s, realistically. Maybe if you're uh, sort of one of those elite, elite, crazy people, maybe mid-30s. But I'm very well aware that there's a lot more life to have to live and I'd, like, towards the end of my career started to build what I do now, which is the Good Human Factory, my mental health organisation. And it's just opened my mind to how small all of our individual industries are. (laughs) Like, I thought the surfing was everything. And then you become friends with people outside of the surf industry and they could not care less if you came first or 100th (laughs) in the world. Like, they're just stoked on you for who you are. And, like, and I'm learning, like, wow, I had so much, like head noise about what people thought of me for my surfing when only like the tiniest micro percent Mm. of people even care Mm. and even those people like in a week will care about the next person anyway so it's like fuck who cares like the people who really matter to you will like show up when it matters
0: i always do find that funny when you'll see someone really famous but they're not famous for something that you are actually invested in yeah so they don't seem like it's like kind of cool yeah (laughs) Yeah, Do, do you know taylor Cecil? Yep. So yep. Um, he, I like came up and met up with him, and um, Mick Fanning was in his gym. And like, I know Mick Fanning because he's a good, but I don't know him. He's not yeah. like the man. But it was just like you just kind of treat someone. I know it's like okay when you don't have that fa- like fanboy kind of yep. thing. You just like you're just another guy kind of thing. Yeah. yeah but yeah. you have that mentality. But then it's like yeah, you look at yourself and you're like, if you went somewhere, no one cares. Like, yeah. if that's the thing. It's like a lot of yeah. It's a weird one though. That you do put so much emphasis on like thinking like oh you do this that's you that's
1: you. Mm. It's, yeah it's it's so funny the like the little stories and realities we make up in our head are just like <laughs> yeah. it's so funny you can go, like, yeah it's funny when you actually look
0: back and you 're like how I was thinking in that situation and how like then you actually talk to someone's like, Oh, how do you feel about that and it 's so far off, yeah I think it's the whole thing of like you trying to come up with what people think of you or what people want for you, and it 's like everyone's got a different version of who you are mm. like Cooper Chapman you'd have like are thousands of different versions of you that live in other people's heads. And yeah. like, you're never going to live up to any of them. So it's like, just be
1: yourself and yeah. that's going to be the best version of that. Mm, it's so true. It's, it's so weird the way, like, I'm learning so much and I feel like we have very similar, like, critical thinking brains when it comes to, <laughs> yeah. like, sort of questioning everything and trying to understand why we are the way we are and stuff. But it's just so, just continually evolving. Like, I'm so inspired by the quest of, continually like learning. Like mm-hmm. I feel like that's the most important thing to just like be so curious to everything.
0: Was that one of the reasons because with the good humans factor you obviously run your own podcast and stuff. Is that something that you felt like you're almost stuck like I for me anyway with this it's like you learn so much. Like you get so much connection with people. And like you say, you don't normally sit down and have a, a one, two, three hour conversation with someone and then if you can touch on points about mental health, it's like a real like you're you're learning not only, but then you're sharing that knowledge and like a, a massive positive IC. And like, I'm trying to to work out how I question this, but it's like, was that a thing you went into knowing like, hey, I'll do a podcast that'll help me grow as a person and like help obviously grow the business at the same time?
1: Yeah. Initially, the reason why I started like the podcast with my business is I knew I had such an incredible network of people around me, initially from surfers, because when I started the podcast, I was still hardcore competing. So I had like access to all the top surfers in the world because they're friends of mine. (laughs) Um, It's odd how like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's very similar hey like yeah. you've just done the surfing side of things and it's just
0: like um am being the mountain bike side of things
1: yeah so I started with that and why I wanted to do it was because I understood that we all had such different stories and we can learn like when I started trying to find what my values were my sports psych recommended me to read a few different books and one of the ones he recommended was open by Andre Agassi and like I don't really like tennis at all but reading the book I began to realize that By learning somebody else's life story, you can pick up little bits and pieces from their story that might work in your life. Or like my dad always said to me, it's good to learn from your mistakes, but it's better to learn from somebody else's mistakes. So what I learned from reading a few different autobiographies in my early 20s was we can really learn from people if we listen or read with a curious mind. And then when the podcast started, why the podcast started was I was like, I've been sharing kind of my views on the world and my tricks and tips at work for my mental health that was kind of the basis of why the business started me running workshops at schools but i was like but i'm always so willing to learn how other people have got through difficult times because i won't know how to deal with losing a parent but if i speak to a friend of mine like my first episode was with a um, guy ryan Callen and a pro surfer from newcastle whose dad passed away from cancer and then a year later his mum passed away from a brain aneurysm so it's like if i can be better equipped on how to deal with losing a parent because I've heard somebody be willing enough and vulnerable enough to share their story. That's only going to make my life better when a challenging time arises. And by I've had like 75 guests on now from surfers to wakeboarders to motocross to BMX to um, divers, Olympians, Paralympians, neuroscientists, doctors. And by learning everyone's unique story, it's like, oh, wait, I can – They went through that really challenging time. Mm, This thing that happened in my life, I can see a few similarities and they really got something out of doing this, so I'm going to go and do that. So once I started having these conversations, I was like, this is amazing for me to learn. But then recording it, it's like I have thousands of people every single week now listen to the podcast. It's like, I think like last week I did like 15,000 downloads. It's like there's 15,000 people who have maybe learned something from somebody's Mm -hmm. story. And yeah, I just think it's a great way to give people a platform to op- share their story, and and you'd be the same. It's so nice just to sit and have a really long conversation with someone because quite often the guests will be like, "Oh, I haven't got to do that in so long. Like, I haven't actually got to think about my own life like that." So it's really cool to give people the space to reflect on their own life too.
0: Yeah, and it's there forever mm. as well. Like, it's you put it out there, and like, it, I thought this. So I did one with my dad, and I just thought about like in. 100 years say we're both gone we got grandkids or whatever like they could listen back to their like grandfather and great-grandfather when they were in their 20s like it's so weird that we can oh, store yeah, yeah, have you thought about that in a way like how it's like it's it's just there forever now yeah it's like it's, and it's constantly like something you said can help someone and that's like this tree that's constantly growing that's never actually going to die like if mm. you put out positive stuff on the internet in a way
1: it's just going to be you there. never know who hears it and you, and it's like timings everything too like someone might hear it today and not realize that it's going to be useful for, to them in two years. I'll yeah. be like, oh, that subconsciously. I remember like when I was really struggling, I heard that person on that podcast years ago talk about breath work. Fuck, maybe I'll go and try that. So it's just like, I just love it. It's so nice to like networking, meeting people and getting to, yeah, just give people space. It's so it feels really good because I feel like it's like in general life, that connection that we have with people on that sort of one-on-one environment Mm. is evaporating it's like disappearing from life Mm.
0: yeah it's getting less and less Mm. do you find because i this changed something for me when i did i did a podcast with jace from gypsy tales and afterwards like the reaction i got from the story i told was like that's when i realized it's like the true fulfillment is kind of built into helping other people achieve or overcome something like a struggle of theirs or something that you dealt with or dealt Mm. with a similar thing and the reaction i got from that and how i felt was like oh my god this is like this is the best feeling i feel like i could feel and that was just from helping people and through again sharing stories of what i learned and for me that's i guess why i've been so attracted to this because i know this can is like the building blocks of like true fulfillment and happiness mm. and i was wondering for you do you f- feel similar to that that like you've can only i think like from achieving an own goal you can hit this level of happiness but almost by helping someone else achieve their goal it's like this compounded effect where it's like i don't know i just feel better if i can like win with someone else or help someone else Mm. win
1: well there's actually there's good science tied into like what you're talking about because with the good human factor what i do is run workshops at schools and one of the things i talk about is kindness and when we're kind or when we do something nice for somebody else it releases happiness chemicals in our own brain so it's like this weird paradox when you're kind to somebody not only does it make them feel good but it makes you feel good too So there's, like, science behind what you're saying there. So when somebody, like, says to you, oh, thanks, I got so much out of your story, without you realising you're doing something kind for them, which then makes you feel good. So absolutely, like, they talk about, I don't know where I read it, but there's, like, this idea of, like, two mountains. There's, like, the first mountain you climb for your own fulfilment, which is kind of, like, both of us in our athlete sort of career. Like, we're Mm -hmm. chasing this mountain to get to X, Y, Z, sort of happiness and fulfilment. But then... Once you um have climbed that mountain, you realise, well, the top of this mountain, there isn't that much here. It's a pretty lonely it. place. But then, and you're doing the same exactly why we're sitting here right now doing this podcast and building something post-career, is it's like there's like the second mountain to climb is for service and realising that by doing nice things for others and from what you've learned on that first mountain, sharing it to other people, that's like the second mountain to climb and that's where you really start to get fulfillment and feel that purpose and that's what I've really felt with my business is the Good Human Factory stemmed from a place of wanting to give back and do service because I'd had some family history with mental illness. My, um, I lost an uncle when I was quite young to suicide. I'd watched my dad suffer quite a bit so I was always very aware, you know what, mental health, is going to be important to me so that's why I through my 20s feel like I was pretty forward thinking and curious how can I improve my mental health from talking to the sports psych learning about this values thing so I was always very curious and sort of putting things in place to take care of my own mental health and then my younger sister was in her last year of high school like three years ago and within a fortnight she lost two friends to suicide and I was just like fuck I need to do something about this like we all suicide's so common now we're all affected by it and we all chucked up Instagram tile up every now and then I'll try and tick that box, which there's nothing wrong with that. It's all raising awareness. But I was like, I need to do more than this. Like fa- mental health has been something important in my family. It's something that I've had to take care of. Maybe I can use that first mountain I climbed and the lessons I've learned to inspire other people. And it makes me feel so good. Exactly. Like you were saying with Jace, just by sharing your story and other people getting something out of it. It feels great. It feels mm. amazing. And, that's basically what I built the Good Human Factory in. into is a system where I get to go and share my story with people in a strategic way that can hopefully engage and inspire them to at least question what mental health is and realise it isn't mental illness. It's something we all have and we all need to take care of. And I get great fulfilment out of the workshops. I take feedback from every workshop now, and that's what really fuels my fire to continue to go doing it. Every time I do a workshop, I get every student or every corporate to scan a QR and takes them to a little feedback form and not only does it make me feel good it's a great way to improve as well it's like Mm. oh you're always trying to be hyper analytical of yourself on ways to improve what you're doing Mm. but yeah through the workshop that's one way but then as well like you said podcasting is amazing I've been so lucky to have built a pretty strong audience now that every day you get messages that you don't even realize Mm. by just your words and your vulnerability and your willingness to just to be open and find ways to articulate what you do and how you're feeling can help somebody else. Like there's no better feeling. Like you said, it's like everyone's had that feeling of doing something nice for somebody and getting recognition for it. Mm-hmm. And it's not that you do it for that, but it definitely is a great a bonus. Good bonus yeah. yeah. Bonus on top of it.
0: Um, when you were younger, did you ever deal with like mental health issues? Did you go to I, like a low before the high kind of thing?
1: I, I, there's no specific moment that I can, say that I really was struggling I don't think with my mental health I think mental health is such a broad like spectrum like we are all on this spectrum from one to a hundred of say good mental health and we all move up and down it every single day and yeah there's probably been times where I've slid down that scale down below 50 and felt a bit stressed or anxious or been going through a challenge in life like we all do like whether it be from family members passing away like that's always hard for all of us grieving when a parent or a grandparent passes away and yeah i definitely think my mental health has got down quite low but then also losing the sponsor that was a huge one for me to deal with like being in denial and being in dark places and then one of my um one that i really remember that like I wouldn't say I had depression or anxiety or anything. I think we throw the terms around way too much nowadays, but I remember I was in America, I was in California for a comp and I just had like three events in like South Africa, um, Japan and somebody else somewhere else. And I would had a few shockers and then I was with my manager in America. I just lost in the first round and same thing. Like he's like, Oh, what's going on, mate? Like uh, the people around us think there's something wrong with it if if we're not doing well, Mm. but it's like competition is just hard. Like, yeah, bad results string together and I remember sitting there going like fuck maybe I've got th- this depression thing like kind of my dad's had throughout my teen years maybe like this is me like I'm really struggling with my mental health. And how, did,
0: how did that affect you when your dad was like that when you were a teenager like is that like how what, how was he acting I guess when you say like he was depressed like what was the like the
1: signs that you saw out of that? It was an, it's a tricky one because my mums are very and no nothing against her but she's from that sort of generation of like get over it you're the man like and like there is a lot more obviously push for understanding culturally but god love her but that's just kind of how my mum's always been like come like get over that's probably
0: a big reason i guess why you're trying to be more open about it it's like no like don't just get over it yeah dive into it yeah understand it
1: so like my dad was always trying to like go like would go like and get um counseling every now and then and that would then my mum would kind of be like oh, bloody dad's a counselor and it's like it, it was always a weird real weird one that I kind of had this like oh I, I better not be like my dad like look how much mum judges him but then I also did understand the other side of the spectrum and I'd be there for my dad like I'm my dad's probably best mate so for him to be able to like confide in me it always made me very aware that mental health was this real th- like mental illness was this real thing so I'd see him kind of yeah, like he struggled a bit with like alcohol throughout while I was a teenager. Like, I used to, like, when I was 15, 16, 14, get on the beers with him at like our local board riders and he'd get messy and like that would turn into fights with my mum. So, like, I'd seen sort of the negative effects of depression and alcohol addiction. But then from like 10 years ago, my dad hasn't had a drink. So, that's was it. And you seen, seen the positive huge impact. Huge changes for him. Like, that just changed everything for him, which has um, been really cool to see. But. Yeah, just watching that, I think, just gave me this really good awareness of both sides of it, that Mm. there's going to be people who don't believe in it, that there's going to be people who really struggle with it, and how do we basically, like? and that's why I'm so proud of what I'm doing, it's like, how do I make mental health cool, and make people like us sit around like two, you know what I mean, successful athlete, 20-year-old dudes that don't have to sit around talking about mental health, but talk about it in a way that's not this real scary thing it's just like well when you're having a bad day when you're struggling what are some things that we can do to move forward not just wait till you get to a point of struggle and then go oh, i'm depressed and then go to mm. a pharma- to go to a doctor and they go take these pills mm. it's like well if every other part of your life is out of balance of course your mental health is going to be out of balance if you're not eating right if you're not sleeping right if you're not exercising if your relationships are shit then your mental health is bad it's like well, you don't have a mental health issue you have mm. a lifestyle issue mm. so um it's yeah, so crazy I when it's i th-
0: talk to like parents or something about their kids racing and they just ask them simple questions because they're like oh how do i get faster how do i get faster how do i get faster and you just ask them like how do you think you get faster and they're like oh you'd probably eat right you'd probably like do this and like stretch all the time and like they would like list out all the things, all the things they need to do i'm like do that kind yeah. of thing. It's like you, we know, we you know, know what we We just, just to want to find f- a shortcut. We yeah. always
1: just want to find a quicker and easier way to do it to not have to do the work. It's yeah. like, no, consistency and hard work is like same. If you're consistent with a lot of things, then your mental health will take care of itself. And that's like the whole basis of the good human factory is around like if you're living to strong values every single day, your mental health will take care of itself. Mm.
0: And I find that interesting when we talked about because I guess my big push for, I guess what I enjoy talking about mental health and like because I went through it so that was like the big push and then how I came out of it and then what I'm doing and like you kind of see the steps and I was like that worked for me so that could probably work for someone else Mm -hmm. this is what I did and obviously I feel like I've got a good reaction it has helped people but yeah listening to your story it was more you were seeing it from both sides with the parents because I know like we know we strive towards if we strive towards things that we want to like overcome and it just comes from trauma as a kid pretty much mm. like it's so much trauma that's based around childhood is then like in the future you want to overcome that like I hated public speaking and I hated talking I actually like when you talk at schools that's something I'd like to do in the future that was mm. another thing that I saw but it's like overcoming that fear that I had as a child and then it's like how do we do that and then if you can I think if you overcome that kind of stuff that is like a goal in your mind like that's where you could get like fulfillment happiness from but it's like putting yourself out there and actually like going after it and kind of like squashing that trauma like you can mm. you can obviously like there's always things that are going to kind of hit a certain way but i think if you can dive into it mm. as an adult it's going to like like lessen the like, not even pain but like stress um i guess i don't even know what you, else you tie up into it it's um it's weird how trauma affects you like it affects it, certain, yeah it's your full makeup yeah like yeah I, i've i've got a thing that because when i was younger and like i love my dad so much like he was awesome but when i was a kid like i'd have a book and i'd be like reading and every now, like, if I messed up a word, he would kind of, like, smack the book on my face. Like, not hard, aggressive or anything like that, but just, like, no kind of thing. And, like, that added this trauma into my, like, brain that, like, I linked that with reading. So I hated reading. Wow. So I'd never read because of that thing. And I would go to school and I'd get, like, nervous when I had to read and I'd stutter and I'd, like, fuck it up. And that was, like, all right, now I don't like to speak in front of people because of that. So that was a trauma attached to that. And this went on until i guess i i wanted to overcome it and then i started to try and like do the podcast and speak and then when i got into racing i was like could be like i don't know you have to speak in front of a camera or mm. other people and it like gave me the tools to then get better at it and then i was like analyzing myself and realized like why didn't i like reading and why did that was something that was always a fear and i linked it back to that and i was like oh shit and i talked to my dad about it and he's like yeah i'm so sorry i did that like that wasn't obviously but that's but that, he didn't know either. he that's didn't know he, either he didn't have any because it wasn't like he was like it wasn't like when i say he thought before, it was funny like yeah you know, yeah, yeah. He it just was it was, was yeah, yeah it was a childish thing like it wasn't like he was beating me with a book but yeah, it was like i did not realize where and, our traumas really come from sometimes and how far that can link forward but then it's like i overcome the trauma by speaking in front of people and doing the podcast and then like the happiness i get out of that because i've like transformed that trauma into a positive it's like I always say, it's like, w- whenever you've got something super negative in your life, it's like, you need to look at that as that can have the polar
1: opposite in a positive way, but you just don't know when that's going to be. Rather than just push it to the side and like, yeah, that's just like, the whole, like, that's just me is like, such a interesting, like, cop-out. Mm. I read this book recently, um, oh, what's it called? It's by this chick called Dr. Nicole LaPera. She's like the holistic psychologist, this chick from um, America, but there's this one chapter that fascinated me and she talked about the idea how like and I'm sure you're very much on this level this idea of like you're not your thoughts like Mm. we have like 80,000 thoughts a day and like 70% of the negative like it's crazy if you like talk to your best friend like you talk to yourself it's crazy (laughs) yeah but then she goes on to talk about this idea that you are not your self-beliefs either you've only created your self-beliefs from something that's happened it's like you can also choose that you know what maybe this isn't my self-belief like maybe this isn't my trauma like you can choose Mm what you want to be moving forward. And when I learned that, I was like, oh, it's so true. Like I always used to say to myself, oh, I'm not a runner. It's not good for my legs. Like mm-hmm. I'm a surfer. It's good. My knees get smashed. And then I listened to or um, read can't hurt me by David Goggins. And I was like, you're just a pussy. That's just your mind making excuses. And then I got into running and now I've like run a marathon and I've like done a bit of a few different running races that are kind of long distance. And I'm like, huh, <laughs> like that was just me telling myself I'm not a runner as an excuse. So it's like, once you begin to realize we just create so many self-limiting beliefs because of
0: mm. our like. Well, I think that's when you got to ask yourself why, like that's when yeah. the why comes into it. It's funny you mentioned David Goggins because he had this, I remember watching a video and he said, record yourself, like just say you, you don't want to go for a run. It's like record yourself all the reasons you don't want to go for a run on your phone. So it's like, oh, my legs hurt. Oh, I'm not a runner. And then watch it back and you're like, I'm a bitch. <laughs> like I'm a little bitch right now. And like, think about that. Cause I was thinking about this other day, like think about, all the goals, aspirations, dreams you have right now in your life, and then out loud say the things why you're not there. Like people don't do that. Like I was thinking the other day, like sit there, name the five biggest reasons that like the thing that you want is not achieved, what you've come up with, like what you've told yourself, oh I don't have the money. Oh like I've got a girlfriend now. Oh, I'm like I work long hours. And it's like you'd be like, I could that's that's all shit. Like mm. if you really want to do it. Those five things aren't that, like, they're not that big or you will find a way to overcome that. But we don't, like, we don't we don't um, verbalize the negative, well, the things that we come up with in our head. Like, when you tell that story in your head and no one else hears it, it sounds pretty good. Well, you, yeah, you like, say, yeah,
1: you say that and then it's like anyone who says they don't have the time, they don't have the resources. It's like, if you can go on your phone and show that your social media screen time is, like, less than an hour a day, yeah. we all spend more than an hour a day looking at other people do their highlight reel mm. rather than creating her own. Yeah. And it's like, I'm super conscious of this at the moment. I've been terrible with screen time and I use the excuse of, well, it's work, yeah. but it's like, <laughs> yeah, no, one, yeah. Fuck, it's just like, oh, I'm really trying to focus on that at the moment. Just like be accountable, take ownership. Like yeah. rather than make excuses like that, like what we started this conversation with before, like that book Extreme Ownership has been such an eye opener for me to like go, you know what like we can always blame and always have an excuse but it's like do you want to be the victim or the hero of your own story Mm. it's like i'd way rather be the hero of my story so it's like you just got to start making and every everything in life is just decisions Mm. everything you do is like it's a decision do you drink water or do you grab the coke from the fridge it's a decision do you
0: when do i get up when do
1: i go yeah it's a decision oh Do I sleep in for a bit more? It's like Mm. you just have to get better at making decisions if you want your life to change. And keeping yourself
0: accountable with those decisions. It's funny before like how anxiety and depression all that does get thrown around a lot now, especially anxiety. I thought if you have an iPhone and you have social media on your iPhone, you have anxiety. Mm. Like I feel like those two have to go together. Like when you're watching TikTok and it's video, 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 video. And it's like, you're getting excited. You're getting happy. You're getting sad. You're getting turned on. You're getting happy again. You're getting like, how yeah, do you? you frustrated. You're getting getting fr- like fr- angry, how do you? Yeah, yeah. How do you deal with that many emotions? And your brain goes, okay, I know what I want to do. I know where I, like what I want to do. I know how I feel about myself. Like you've just watched like this, like which fit, our
1: brains have never had to do in the history of human like, ever, development. Ever. It's crazy. There's a
0: there's a quote by Thundermendels, and it like always sticks in my head. But it's like connected to everyone I've ever known, but never so alone. Yeah. And I'm just like, you can call anyone in the world right now, anyone, but no one does. Or like, no one, like, you mm. can see what everyone's doing everywhere, all the time, 24 7. But it's like, how many people would you actually like know you could call? And like, even like say so have like a two hour conversation or have it like and really mm. dive into that. And like you said, that's almost getting l- less and less and less. It's just getting pulled further away. Like, even QR codes, man. Like, you order your food by QR code, you're like, or oh, get this. It's like, it's, I, love and hate it i love like how convenient it is but you don't get emotion out of it. even like waitresses or
1: waiters or stuff like that like that's something we're losing it's crazy how connect, like this is something so my um my partner actually called me out of this properly on like 2 3 days ago which is great it's so nice like i feel like i'm mature enough now to be able to take on criticism rather than she- i'll give you an example so we were talking about, it's it's kind of it uh, it overstems more than just the um the phone thing but basically it's just attention our attention spans ridiculous like she'd be like trying to tell me about a present that she's getting my sister and then i was like oh look what i'm getting and like i'd always want to take the fire away and she called me out she's like look i can either let this keep going and let it fester and resent you for it or i can be honest with you here and be like you actually do this quite a lot you cut me off and blah blah or you'll get out of your car and you'll before you like Shut your door, you'll go on Instagram quickly. And I'm like, and she's like, I just watch you do it all the time. Like, she said, like, I'm not judging you. I just think it's something that I'd want to know if yeah. I was doing it. And I was like, Whoa, it's so hard to hear that from someone. But then yeah. I was like, you know what? I'm going to try and be conscious that I only need to go on my phone if I'm sitting down and I can be present on my phone rather mm. than just like, I'm literally like, get up and walk to the toilet and between standing up from the couch to walk into mm. my bathroom, I check Instagram. It's mm. like crazy how like...
0: Mm. It catches you quick, man. Like it get, as, soon as And then as soon as you start producing content that people are really resonating with and like you're getting likes, you're getting comments, you're getting validation, you're getting little happiness, little happiness, like that kind of thing, you get so hooked on it. And then as well,
1: like I yesterday went for a walk just to get breakfast and me and my chick like jokingly were like... at By the end of it, we we're like how many times would have we used our phone... And it was like, so we get to breakfast and then you had to like, you could, we didn't have our phones. We just like left our phones and there was like the QR code to order food. So we had to like go up to order, which was a minor inconvenience. And then the food looked beautiful and she's like, oh, I don't have my phone to like take a photo of it.
0: Was it a it minor inconvenience though? But did you enjoy like the conversation? Oh yeah, That's what I said. I
1: went up and I ordered something out of the window because I saw it And, it and you had great. a
0: connection with another person. Oh, I loved
1: every <laughs> moment. And then we like sitting there and we're talking about something and about something that had happened and she's like yeah I'll show you a photo oh I don't have my phone so it's like it's literally turned into our phones are like a a hardware piece of us now Mm -hmm. that we use as an extension of who we are by showing people something by Mm -hmm. booking something like it's turned into like yeah when I saw that when I thought about that I was like holy shit if I don't have my phone on me it's like a piece of me is missing because I can't like book something in I can't do this I can't do that it's like crazy when you start to realize and then you look around how many people aren't present eating because Mm. they're on their phone and it's like when are we like how conscious are we all Mm. with how much we're using our like devices it was super interesting when I saw that I was like fuck it's so true like Mm.
0: And because I've got a, a timer on my phone, but as soon as it runs out, I just click next. Like it's not even a yeah, thing Yeah, me too. I've got 30 yeah.
1: minutes on Instagram. Mine's normally done yeah. by like it's almost nine like, in the morning.
0: Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. It's almost like, I hope it, like if you get it later in the day, you're kind of like, oh, that was good. But yeah. like, it doesn't change it when it comes up. I just go next. Mm. It's weird, man. Because you just miss so much. Like you miss so much when you're out somewhere and like this experience is actually connecting with other people when everyone is just looking at their phone. Yeah, I've and got this idea that like where like, you know this whole AI thing. It's like we're in sense,
1: kind of like oh, I'm gonna start using yeah, it. Looks so good for writing copy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dude, do you reckon
0: we're just kind of create like our own god in a way, in a sense? Because like I look at like AI as being like somebody who knows everything, all knowing, all hearing. Even our phones, to a certain extent, is like this version of like what we've created. Like yeah, just knows everything, knows everything you've ever done, hears everything you ever say, is always with you. You feel like is then connected to it, and then like if you put that to then it knows how to like understand itself. It's a fucking. It's scary. Yeah, it's a scary time.
1: Man. It's like I there's this, this app that I use for my podcast to do the captions, and it auto like it auto captions, but then you like save it, and in your folder it auto, um, titles it all, and it's AI because it like literally like spits out this like beautiful title that's listened to the podcast to the excerpt. I'll show you right now. I'll give you an example. Oh
0: mate, you got to link me to this. Yeah, I get
1: to So like I use this app app called Captions. So I like did a um, a few recently and like one of the things was like my mate talking about his business or something. And then it's like the tips and tricks of starting your own business. To put, and then like my sister's friend whose um, partner passed away and she tells this like five minute long story mm. about her partner coming back through um, their dog at the funeral and the Uber driver sort of being a um, clairvoyant and, Coming through him, and then it auto-captioned the title "Chumpy's Funeral" and the mysterious Uber driver. It's like, and I didn't write the title. How does
0: it know that? Like,
1: it's crazy. It's like, like,
0: what level? Like, how's copyright going to work? Hey,
1: oh, there's gonna. It's like I've been looking at. I just been. I've been seeing stuff pop up the last couple days where I'm like, it's just perfect to be able to like summarize and do your marketing and stuff. Like, Mm. but scary. You could put. (laughs) It's scary where it's going.
0: Oh, man. You know, we're talking about, like, getting people to, like, um, do work and help produce the podcast. It's like, you just wait a couple of years and just, just type in, do podcast, and that would yeah. sort out the rest. Yeah. Just
1: drop the audio in and be like, edit <laughs> the podcast and make it sound good. Make it drop look good. Chop all the clips,
0: everything. Oh, man, that's crazy. Um, yeah. I was going to go back. So, when um, you've obviously finished surfing and you put, like, pretty much all your eggs in... Well, not all your eggs, but, like, going into the Good Human Factory, where, like, what is do you want to grow that? Cause you're obviously talking about now, like getting people to start work for you. Is that this thing you want to keep growing? Cause I saw you want to do um, retreats and stuff in Bali. Do you just want to kind of keep growing this, get like more people working for you, more retreats, more just like, where do you see, see it kind of going?
1: Yeah. The good human factory has been cool. Like I love the idea of like sort of being an entrepreneur and the idea of creating more than one part of the business. Like initially it started with, all right, I'm just going to go to schools and do workshops. I'll just be Cooper Chapman started this good human factory thing I'll come do workshops and then it grew into like the podcast because I was like this is another way to spread the message at the end of the day the like core mission of the business is to challenge the way people think about mental health so there's many ways that I can do that so it started with the workshops that's kind of grown now to like this year I went to like I did 50 workshops at 30 different schools and like 25 corporate ones with 20 corporates so like that's starting to grow but then also the podcast is like really starting to grow um the merch is like another sort of avenue that i really want to start to build um then i do like ambassadors like a bunch of like the top athletes around the country sort of help me spread the message of i just feel like so many of the mental health charities come from such a place of like mental illness Mm. and it's like i feel like if we really want to start to change we need to make mental health it's a category which it should be like health you know what i mean like yeah health and well-being like your mental health comes under that category, not illness and mental illness. They're like mm. different things. Um, yeah, work on it before it becomes a problem. Yeah, like keep, it's like, it should just it. be part of all of our lifestyles. Like, how do we maintain healthy lifestyles? We end up with good mental health. So, um, yeah, there's a whole bunch of avenues. Everything's got a chance to scale, though, which is great. Like, the podcast can obviously always do bigger numbers, get bigger guests. The um, workshops, I can always get more workshops booked in. I can always get. Um, another person to start talking like under the good human factor. I'd love to turn it into a bit of a speaking agency. So athletes, um, like yourself, like a lot of my athletes who are ambassadors like Harry Bink and um Harley Clifford, Alex Hayes, all these athletes that are finishing their careers soon, same thing, are gonna get pretty lost. And because I, I know that feeling, mm-hmm. like I knew like, fuck, what am I gonna do? Now I've created it, so I wanna create a pathway for my ambassadors to be able to come and do school talks or corporate talks under the good human factory because now i understand how hard it is to build that credibility and to Mm. develop the skills and the structure to be able to present so that's kind of one of the ideas but then like yeah retreats is another thing that uh, i'm um, launching next year doing like our first retreat in Bali in july which will be super fun um yeah just continue to scale everything has the opportunity the merch can like 10x what i'm doing now very easily Mm. so a lot of Interesting sort of avenues I can go, but that's what I love about it. It's like I have the freedom to do whatever so I want. Open, yeah. yeah.
0: how did you feel when you first did those talks, like talking in front of like a large group at a school? Because that, I'd be like, that makes me nervous. Like that
1: public, like, because you did like hundreds of kids the other day, didn't you? Was... Yeah, I did. Uh, I did one with a thousand kids last, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, which is super interesting. Um, like, how do you but, feel going out? Like,
0: putting, does it almost feel like you're back in kind of competition? Like that feeling of like, oh shit, here we go. Like, this is like eyes on me kind of thing? Does that, you still get... Like, it's, like a, it's like a high and then if you have a good show, it's like... It almost feels like do, catching a good wave or like doing well in competition.
1: It's an interesting one. I, at the start, I was definitely like pretty nervous because I really wanted to like nail my content. Like the workshops that I did when I first began back in bloody 2019 or 20, yeah, 2019 was so bad. Like mm. that's my best advice can give someone. If like you want to do something, just start. Know mm. that your starting product isn't going to be amazing but the skill wasn't the writing the presentation it was presenting. So yeah. like by doing the average ones at the start, like when i did a few free ones at my old schools on like PowerPoint on like an old laptop that barely worked. And then what really helped me was I took feedback. So I'd always ask people for feedback and then like they'd be like, oh I like that part, that part. And then I just like morphed it into morphed, like yeah. what the majority of people liked. And then as I got better it just got it got easier. And now because I've done the same sort of presentation keynote probably over a hundred times in the last year, Mm. I don't even prepare anymore. I can literally like rock up, click up, like click on the thing on my computer and just go and do an hour and no worries. Mm. And um, because of that, it makes it a lot easier. Like now when I do a big group in front of a thousand people, I don't know. And I was never a good speaker. I literally like never was a public speaker at school. I always enjoyed... Kind of like you said when you started getting on podiums and stuff, like the speech. Like I always enjoyed trying to tie words together, but it was funny. I actually, when I was like probably about nineteen, I was on like a trip with Hurley and the team manager at the time. We went out to a dinner, and there was a few like sort of big wigs there, and. I tried to tell a story and I think I got like lost in the middle of it and just completely butchered this story. And the team manager told me on the drive home, like you shouldn't tell stories anymore. You shit at storytelling. Yeah. And then, so I think that was one of those traumas that I had for ages. And I never like would say stuff if I was out to dinners, like I'd always just keep it to like minimal. Yeah, And I think that was like a bit of a driver that taught me to be like, fuck, you know what? Like the only way I'm going to get better at storytelling is by doing it, not by not doing it. So then, yeah, the workshop started and then the podcast started and now it's like I'm making my career out of speaking <laughs> and being able to present well. But, um, yeah, that's
0: what I mean. It's all like, even though that would have been a small instant, like it, it's a trauma. You're like, I want oh, to I I yeah, get over this. I want to get better at this. I want to make something that I'm not good at become mm. something I'm really good at. Or it at. goes the
1: opposite way. You're like, oh, I'm just not going to do this. You like let the trauma control you or you mm. sort of take control of it. Well, so. that's the two options
0: that either destroys you or like gives the you the victim pet. or the hero yeah, of it. Yeah, exactly. And that's a decision you make with pretty much everything in a certain way. Yeah. It's like, am I going to let this like put me down or am I going to let it build
1: me up? Yeah. And then even like with the speaking, like I got told this quote years ago, there's the act of confidence comes before the feeling of confidence. Yeah. And that with public speaking, you could not have a better quote. It's like, if you're up on stage and you're not feeling confident mm-hmm. and you just like act like you know what you're saying, like... Nobody out in the crowd really knows. Like, it's mm. just in your head that they think, like, yeah. I've had ones where I've come off and I've been like, oh, I didn't really hit my good points. And people mm. have been like, wow, that was the most amazing yeah. talk I've ever seen. So, it's like, just act confident and, mm. yeah, yeah, can, yeah, it's kind of like, fake I, it to make it. really.
0: I want to um, get into, like, stand-up comedy. And I feel like that's almost like the ultimate, that like, would be hard. You're either, like, you're either on or you're not. And if you bomb, but then that kind of comes back to, why does it matter? Mm. like why does it doesn't matter like I was talking to someone the other day I was like if you suck at stand up comedy nothing yeah. changes in your life Yeah. like nothing like if you get some laughs you feel good and then if you don't you're like eh, well okay we'll try again kind of thing it's like that resilience to get back and do it but yeah if you vomit something it's like I think that's just such a you're either good or you're not mm. like it's no kind of in between game like you're funny or you're not funny so it's like even if like you're pushing a good message, but you don't deliver it properly you're still pushing
1: a good message but yeah. if you're not a funny comedian, you're like you're just not a funny comedian, yeah. but fuck it's so funny. I have a, a couple like sort of little humor parts throughout my presentation, and when it's with adults, there's like this one joke that I tell that always gets laughs, and then when it's with kids, like crickets it's yeah. like. It's so hard to, like, try and crack a joke that doesn't get anyone laughing at it. I just laugh at myself now. I just go, like, well, <laughs> clearly I'm not that funny. <laughs> but I
0: guess it's such a different, like, how do you be funny for kids and adults yeah. at the same time? It's good, but <laughs> anyway, we'll get there. You just got to know your know you crowd. Comedy's not my strong point. But, but you right. only get laughs on it. It's, like, it'd be a good feeling. You just take the piss out of yourself and you get laughs. Yeah, right? yeah. It's I, funny. I remember, because I did... Um, I was best man at my brother's wedding and did a speech and, like, had, like, jokes in it, had build up and all that and, like, got a good reaction. I was like, I like this. This is good. But, it was, yeah. I There's to, nothing worse than telling a joke and nobody laughing. Oh, <laughs> man. nothing, nothing man. worse. Or, oh, like, you mess it up. Like, you're halfway through it and you mess it up. And, <laughs> and you miss, like,
1: like, a part and you have to get back. And that's, like, oh, I think that's what happened with that story yeah. that I
0: told. That was shit. And i like, oh. At that point, you just, just you sit down, hey. You're just yeah, like, Yeah. We're done. We're done. <laughs> oh man! But how good is it when you've got? Because I've got like some real charismatic friends, and like mm. they'll get on a tangent and get into a story, and you will be like, "Man, like it's just like one of those funny people, and just can just nail points." And it's, oh. it's good. I really it's a think, good skill to have. I really want to do a joke about. Have you seen there was like an arms dealer, like a Russian arms dealer, got traded? Oh yeah, for, for the an, WNBA. Yeah, player? I'm like, I want to build that into a joke and be like. Like who is, is like the Biden administration meeting with like the NBA and they're like working out like shots and stuff for the for the player. Like,
1: how's the stats work here that you're like you're worth this? Like imagine a normal trade. I saw. I read something actually that was I found this really funny. It was like the first time a WNBA trade will make headlines. <laughs> 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 she didn't say that, but fuck, it It was pretty funny. Yeah, that is, that. yeah, so, yeah.
0: So apparently, they got off the plane like two separate planes and swapped at the middle. Yes, yeah, like, that. do you reckon when the doors opened and like he was just like, "Come on, LeBron, come on, LeBron," or something? And it's like, Nah I just got this. Fuck, go, traded. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's like, "Come on, Putin," or something. Like, you want to have some big wigs? Hey, you're like, this is the seriousness of the trade. Yeah, you just get back on the plane, go back to jail. <laughs> fuck it. Call me when you get someone decent to trade yeah, me yeah, for. Far, yeah
1: because surely that would happen politics
0: is just crazy that would happen the nba like well in like if you traded someone like surely the play would be like oh man yeah i want to get
1: traded for someone good for decent yeah yeah. i
0: put you there like yeah does that happen like on surfing very often like where like sponsors will flip to like different surfers is that like a a
1: little bit there's definitely like negotiations where it's like two people that kind of have the budget for one person and you got to kind of work out who they're going to go for or like brands or like get rid of like two or three of their like middle level guy. That kind of happened with Hurley when I was like towards the end when I like got downgraded. Hurley got, was owned by Nike and then they got sold to like this other company and there's all these massive restructuring and that was kind of like where mine kind of disappeared. It was like, oh, we're going to put all our money into top guys. But mm. yeah, sponsorships just so hard in sport. It's
0: tricky, man. Cause like the whole idea of like the sports, like it's a meritocracy where you get merit on, doing well yeah so everyone just supports you for doing well but like you said before when it's like no one actually like if you're a really good decent person but you're not doing well people kind of don't care in a way and Mm. that's the sad part because it's like you're literally working for your friends and for the industry for like commission yeah and like and that can come in the way of just like not just money but like gratification and like compliments and just being around you it's a weird thing it's such
1: a weird currency like the yeah, just any sport world where it's like, yeah, being – your results dictate how you're treated. Yeah.
0: Like, I've had people um, like that I've seen be like shit people and then they'll come up to me and be like my best friend because I'm good at riding a bike. Yeah. I'm like, why Why are you treating me differently than you're treating everyone else just because mm. I'm good at something? And when you see it, when you see like – then you it kind of makes you question – who people actually are, because yeah. I'll talk to people and I'll be like, "Oh, they're lovely," and be like, nah they're not good people." But it's like obviously to me they're going to be nice because they yeah, admire a the skill I do. It's it's crazy, eh? Like so that's when it's like the I love when I meet people I have no idea who I am. Yeah, it's like blank. That's why I think I like traveling solo so much because I'm like put myself out of that world of people. Like because it's kind of like you don't know what's fake and what's real in a way. Yeah. Where if you meet someone in the middle of nowhere and they have no
1: care or want for mountain biking, it's like sweet. This
0: is like a fresh start in that mm. sense.
1: Yeah, it's so funny like especially like I was saying earlier stepping out of the surf world and realizing like how small something that we think is everything really is. <laughs> like now it's like no one no one really cares about not that it's about recognition but I'm like as a surfer none of the surfers if I posted a good surf clip would like or comment or like none of the top top guys mm. whereas now that I'm doing this mental health stuff I'll post like a real with like one of the other surfers talking about an injury or talking about like something to do with their mental health and I'll get all like recognition from all the surfers it's like I'm getting the recognition I've always dreamed of but not for the actual thing that I wanted to but it's like it's better that it's for something that actually has depth rather yeah, than just being good at riding a surfboard It's yeah like, so It's funny. Yeah, it's it's funny funny. how that's all worked
0: out in a weird circle, hey? Yeah, Yeah, it's it's like... like, (laughs) It's like, I finally got it. That's not how I thought I was going to get it. Yeah,
1: and it's like, not like I said once again that it's for recognition, but it's like, I get stopped now multiple times a week from people in the street going like, oh, I love your podcast, like so, Mm. like... And I'm like, it's different to somebody liking that to somebody going like, oh, I see good surf results. Yeah, it's It's more more real. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like somebody caring about my values rather than my surf career so it's literally changed this whole idea of my identity it's like so much nicer being recognized for who you are as a person than rather than what you do
0: Mm. no I I see that a lot and I was gonna did you did you like know was there a point where you're like okay this is the like was there a deciding factor when you go okay I'm gonna go down this new like avenue of that and like surfing's not like when was because that's the point i've got too I, I like it's like hard man i'm
1: still doing it i still haven't really announced retirement
0: so you still could just go back in any time just <laughs> yeah
1: i could st- uh, to be honest never never kind this of this year is like the first year so i went from like covid hit to like 2020 i was like all guns blazing like work full-time tradie mm. make enough money to go to the next events good human factory was like maybe two or three workshops a year very minimal side hustle max side hustle like hour or two once a week on it mm. covid hits and then i'm like hmm okay i can put a bit more time and energy into building this good human factory but surfing's still going to be my thing once mm. covid finishes i'm going to compete 2020 finishes no comps are on 2021 starts we do like a regional tour and i'm like still hell bent like i'm training full time at surfing australia first time i've ever really like put in the 100 training regime for surfing so 2021. While the good human factory is starting to pick up some momentum and look like, oh, wow, I could maybe make this into like a, an option of a, a business to work into next year. Um, but I'm still focused on the surfing. And then 2021, I got not lucky, but I did well in like this last regional event at Kings Clear or like Cabarita, which qualified for me for the international tour. So as a good human factory is really starting to build a bit of momentum in 2021, schools open back up so I can actually go do workshops. I make it onto the international tour. So I'm like, fuck, okay, do I put my business on hold for three months? Because when you've got a small business and you're the only person working for it, when you go overseas for four months, everything stops. Yeah. So I went overseas for four months at the end of 2021. And it was kind of, it was a really nice moment because it was like, I wasn't really expecting to make it to that tour and I got in really last minute. I was like, I was the first reserve and somebody got injured and I got in. So they're like, you've got to go to um, America in two weeks and then you go France, Hawaii and um, Portugal. And I was like, fuck, all right, one more trip, let's do it. So I organized it all, pulled together like a little bit of sponsorship money from some friends that tried to help me out and did four months overseas to finish 2021, which just handbraked my business but then when I got home, I was like, all right, I didn't quite get to where I wanted to in the surfing. Fuck, I didn't re. I had the best time I've ever had, but I wasn't that focused and I didn't care when I was losing. So that mm. was a bit of a um, warning sign to me that, hmm, why yeah. am I really doing this? If I'm like coming in, losing and being like angry, but confused, yeah. not like angry, how am I going to get better? Like, am I really doing this? Mm. But then I was also grateful. I was like, fuck, this is sick. I'm doing like four more Mm. months overseas traveling as a surfer with an almost knowing that it's probably the last year doing it. Mm. Um, and then I got home and surfing Australia, I got like 70th, I think on that tour, which is like probably ranked maybe between a hundred and 110 in the world, which is like pretty good. There's a lot of surfers Mm. and surfing Australia were like, look, we don't think you're going to make it next year either. So it was like the second time that it happened. The sponsors said it to me like three years before. And then, surfing australia who's like our governing body were like mm, we don't think you're gonna make it we're not gonna put you on scholarship anymore so i was like all right i don't have any funding coming in i don't have any free training by our like governing body coming in like what am i really gonna do and then i got like a bit of work through and then i probably wouldn't have done the tour at the start of this year but i've kind of been on this like weird one that i've got like a board shaper um, mauricio gill who's a legend love the guy And he's helped me out a lot with my equipment. So I feel bad, sort of, and he's got these dreams of me making it on the tour. Whereas uh, I've been very real with him now this year that it's, like, probably not going to happen. But, yeah, then – so I'd always been like, oh, I don't really want to quit because he's still supporting me. Mm. And then I kind of got to the point once they – I did a few of the events at the start of this year because Surfing New South Wales, our um, governing body in New South Wales – employed the good human factory to do my mental health workshops at the events for the local communities. Mm. So I was like, Oh, I can tick both boxes here. And I did a few of the events. I did. Okay. in a couple of them got like a third in one, but didn't make it onto that next tour. And then that was kind of where I was like, sweet. I'm just, okay, so you, did you really care about not? No, making it No, I did That's not I care were- at all. I was almost like, if I made it on, it created more problems than if I didn't make it because <laughs> at this stage, I'm working full time on the good human factory at the start of the year kind of struggling like working at fierce pack and boxes just to get by. And then like once by having the surfing, it held this thing over my head where I had to like, at the wheel of what the surf comp schedule was, so I couldn't book in workshops later mm. in the year. I was so like at the mercy of these surf comps, I was like, they've just they were like shackling me to take mm. any steps forward with the Good Human Factory. Mm. And then when I didn't make that international tour this year from like May onwards, I've just been like head down, like lots of workshops booked in. I've got a click open calendar to do what I want. And to be honest, I didn't even realize that a bunch of the comps that I'd have to do if I want to qualify for next year's are on right now, and I haven't even looked at the calendar, so yeah. I kind of just like. Your energy's gone elsewhere. Yeah, just I, even, I barely even go surfing anymore. It's yeah. like crazy how quickly it changed this year without mm. any real like decision. It was just mm. like slowly everything kind of fell into place. That way. I was like, wait a second, I'm making ten times the amount of money I made as a surfer. I'm helping people. I'm getting this real good feeling of people telling me every day that what I'm doing is helping them. Mm. Like what? Why am I still chasing the surfing? Like what? Am I, doing? I, I, I think
0: a big thing for me where like I keep kind of wanting to chase the racing is I feel like it makes the microphone to what you're trying to say louder. So absolutely, I, I always saw that. as, like that's a motivator now because I was like,
1: it gives you credibility.
0: Yeah, I was like, kids are going to be more likely to listen to a world champion over someone that's not. And like that's obviously like a stretch. And like, pretty, but it's like if you come out and go really start winning in that sense, and then people start interviewing you, that's going to grow. That's so I look at that as like being a good athlete and getting good results is going to grow the podcast, my, my my reach to other people and help me in that sense. So it's almost just like work there for, for the business even though it looks like it's kind of working against it in a way but if you can balance both together.
1: And I think I did that quite well that I leveraged this professional surfer thing for the f- the two years of building the business, mm. I think. Like founded by a professional surfer sounds better than yeah. like founded by ex-professional surfer. So I had the exact same mindset of you. Yeah. It was like this holding on but once again, it was holding on to this identity yeah, that isn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. doesn't like, once you go and speak to someone, it's cool to show them a few clips of your career, but it's like you you can't juggle being a world champion and having a business that's, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you need a team to build that business. I don't know. Well, I was, guess that's
0: what we're both trying to do now. Like we're both in that process of, like I kind of, it's funny because I always look at trying to look at people that have done what I'm doing or doing or just a bit further ahead. Like I look at Jason, how he set up his podcast. And I was like, I guess it's like you've always got, like a, the run-on effect of like, okay, what are they doing? Oh, I did that, oh, I did that, I did that. Mm. I keep making it better. But I've got this thing where, like I say, like I feel like a lot of over-perfectionists is like it's paralyzed by perfection. Mm. So they just get stuck in this like, I want it to be perfect and perfect means X amount of work and I don't want to do X amount of work, so I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Like, because you can do a pretty dodgy podcast with a single microphone and like a, a I laptop. Did exactly. I did it. I well, did, we we all for did ages. it But you could still do it now. That's yeah, the thing. you can do it but with an iPhone. You exactly. can literally put an
1: iPhone between you and your friend and click audio record. Yeah. And you're chilling. Exactly. Like, that's all you need to do.
0: But like, we're perfectionists. We want to do better. We want to do more. So now it's like, I want to have better audio. I want to have better clips to put out. I want to have better guests. I want to have better everything. But the thing is
1: you do all that, get the best equipment, the best guests, the best this, and you put it out and you do no listens anyway at the start and you get disheartened anyway. So you're better off yes, you're starting, starting mediocre, always improving mm. and building your audience because that's what I've learned with the podcast. I was like, I'll get these big guests. Like I had a bunch of really big name profiles at the start mm. and I look at my numbers like at the start it's all about building an audience like and i'm learning that like i had my sister on i know if i had my sister's episode came out today it would be my most listened to episode Mm. but it came out a year ago and Mm. it's done less than like almost every episode i've had this year because i've built that audience you have to like build Mm. rapport and that's like like you said with the podcast my first (laughs) i think back to it now it's so funny my first like (laughs) yeah 10 of twenty episodes were a recorder with one mic into it, and I would hold it, ask a question, then hold it under their chin for like the whole time. <laughs> I did that for my first like fifteen really? to eighteen episodes.
0: You've got to start somewhere, hey. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I didn't even record my first episode. I sat down and thought I press record, I didn't <laughs> do it. And I just had a single yeti yeti mic, and I was like, and almost that deterred me from not wanting to continue because it was straight away it's like,
1: can't even press record. Like I've done that. I did that with Lane Beachley, like oh. seven time world surf champ. Like, oh man, it's and like then I. Did it with Reese Hodge, who plays in the Wallabies, like oh no, two bangers. But uh, both of them are friends, so both of them re-recorded with me. But I oh, so I mean, they won't don't didn't click. Lanes, I didn't have the mic volume turned up enough, so it was just like so faint you could barely hear it. Mm. And then um, Reese, he we're on Zoom and the connection was, it was just one of those shockers. So we're just like, let's do it again.
0: Zoom's a hard one to do because you get that lag and then it just makes conversation. I did a one with uh, Lee Hogan, a motocross guy from Melbourne. And just the lag time and the, like, the, yeah, mm. it just, it doesn't, I don't feel like you can get a proper, like, you get kind of a good conversation, but it's
1: never to, like, a proper depth because there's always that pause. Yeah, it is tricky, but, I mean, sometimes you, you do it because you have to because of, like, like, I did, some one with, like, a doctor from, done a couple with doctors in America that, mm. like, obviously you've got to do it over Zoom, but mm. in person so much better. Mm.
0: I was going to ask you as well, like, when you were traveling on the circuit, how did you go with, like maintaining relationships and being away for that amount of time? Because that's something I've always struggled with, with competing and being away and like having or not having a girlfriend and the stress that puts on you as an athlete in that scenario and obviously her as a girlfriend back home. Or have you dealt with that? Have you been single? I've
1: dealt with that plenty in my early career. Mm. Like from 18 to like 21, I had a girlfriend that was like kind of on and off and just, I mean, I was super immature and i'm a very different person i am today but there was always like oh you're going away for two months like we're breaking up and then i'd be like "Fuck whatever and then i'd end up like hooking up with some girls overseas and then we'd come home and we'd get back together and i didn't Mm -hmm. have the maturity to be honest that i'd hooked up or slept with girls overseas and then would lie about it and be like no i didn't do anything and then she'd find out and it was just like i had years yes yeah i just wish i was more honest probably back then if like that's my biggest bit of advice like all right do I want to travel and do this and have a good time with all my mates or do I want to have a relationship and if I was um, although by doing it younger like I always enjoyed like relationships I think having mm. a romantic relationship with someone's nice and I'd bring her around the world at different times which was super fun Um, but just learned a lot I was just young and then I dated like an American girl for two years and she, like, moved from the States and lived with me and my family when we were, like, 22, 23, I think, um, which was tough and fun. Like
0: It's a lot to deal with at a young age. Like, I don't do well with, like, living in a like, – because I would always get in a relationship quite quickly and then they'd live with me. Yeah. And, like, that dynamic is already massive yeah. at such a young age and then competing so much as well and then being away. It's like you either get all of them at one time or then none at yeah. all. And that
1: contrast is quite hard to do. And with. I found it really hard. Like the relationship I'm in now is amazing because I'm with someone who's a bit more mature and I'm a far more mature person. But it used to be like just having to like check in. Like you're overseas trying to compete and mm. then you're like having to check in once or twice a day with someone. It's like I'm the sort of person that like if I need you, I'll call you. Like if not, mm. like let me do my thing. Like I love you. I, I like I'm committed to you, but I don't need to like catch up and hear about your day like mm. every single day when it's like you have just gone to work and done the same thing which it's not trying to be not interested it's just trying to be like I need to focus my energy on mm. that so that's something I struggled with back then whereas now the partner I've actually got the last trip I ever did around the world surfing in Portugal last year I met this beautiful Brazilian girl and um, she's a bit older and just understands the world and has lived a bit more so it's just like oh it's so nice to be with someone I feel mm. like I'm quite mature and have a pretty Sort of wise mindset to be able to improve myself and to be able to take on criticism and to be able to improve. So having her around now has been so good. Like, there's none of that just like dumb arguments now. It's It's just wasted time. It's just honest. It's like if I say to her, like, hey, do you want to come here? Instead of saying, oh, yeah, okay, and doing it because she feels like she has to, she'll be honest with me. And it's like the honesty has just been such a changer. Like, Mm -hmm. rather than being. Like I touched on earlier, I think when I said she called me out and on the phone, yeah. yeah the phone, it's like I need to be mature enough to be able to take that on. But it's like I need a partner that can call me out on that stuff, or we're never mm. going to grow and improve and be better together. If like we're just going to resent each other and not call each other out on our downfalls. Mm. Um, but yeah, relationships have been have always been difficult to ch- like. I was always like a relationship guy in my early like late teens, early twenties, and then sort of the back half. Of my 20s, I've been not really in relationships until the last, mm. yeah, couple months I've been,
0: Did you yeah. feel like that affected your surfing when you were competing pretty heavily, like having a girlfriend that I guess wasn't dealing with the distance well? Like did that play on your mind and almost was like, because I've been overseas and sometimes it's just like I meet a girl, fall in love, and it's like, all right, see you in two months. Yeah. And then it's never the same. Like mm. the amount of time, like I've been overseas and like, Maybe not to the point, like you're dating, but you're a bit like, like, you're, like, yeah, you're spending a lot of time together. Something's happening, and then you go away, and then you see them like someone else. And it's like that was something that happened over and over again. And mm. then that made me resent racing because it was like you finally actually fall, fall for someone, and then it's like, all right, you've got to go away for this amount of time. And then I think that comes back to it's like you are living the dream, but at a certain point in your life, the dream might be like starting a family. And, like, yes, writing's cool, but if your dream's starting a family and you're pulling away from the person that you might start that family with, then the dream, that's why the dream shifts, I think, because it's, like, you mature as a person and want different things. So it's, like, I understand when you're somewhere and you're, like, I don't want to, like, I'm not appreciating being here, but it's because, like, my focus is in something else that I need in my life,
1: like, right now, not that. <laughs> mm, I feel like it's, like, there's just, like, chapters of life. Like, I try and... Look, there's like seasons of life is I guess one way to sort of describe it. There's going to be like these ups and downs, but then I try and look at it now like there's these chapters, like think about it like you've got a book and each chapter's like got a different thing going on. Like just try and be focused and present in that chapter you're in right now. Like, all right, I'm in my um, mountain biking chapter. Like I need to fully be in that, not thinking I need to like buy the house and have the mm. wife and kids. It's like, all right, how do I really live in this chapter rather than, have my mind in chapter 10 when I'm still trying to live through chapter four and I'm not even enjoying it because I'm trying to expect what's going on in chapter 10. It's Mm. like, yeah, it just comes back to being present and mindful, which Mm. is hard. It's so hard at times. We're always in situations in our life that we think is where, like we're not where we want to be, but it's like once you learn to like really just appreciate that, you know what? Mm. There's going to be a time where you're sitting at home with your baby doing diapers going, fuck, I wish I was... (laughs) down riding my mountain bike it's yeah. like you got to learn to just enjoy each chapter
0: yeah i think and just be honest with yourself of like what you actually yeah want in that time Because that's a massive thing like the re- relationship like the honesty i think is something that literally is the probably why most things break apart it's just people don't know what yeah the
1: communication and the honesty it's mm-hmm. like
0: so since being up here i'm like trying to honestly be a more honest open person and like that's with like kind of everyone whether it be like girls or at the gym like telling people like what i want or what you need or what you what makes – is going to make this the best scenario? And I remember I was like – I went and saw someone the other day and I kind of put up what, where I was at and they put up where they were at and it's like that's not – when like it's not compatible. Mm. But that was fine. It was just like – and then that was it. Yeah. Like you, you like sort it out straight away and actually put it on the table of like this is how I feel. How do you feel? And if they're not the same way or they are the same way, I was like
1: – And that's okay. And like it's that, okay. Yeah, and it's,
0: it's so okay. And it's just so easy to do. And it's just like – and then if it doesn't work out, it's like, well, it does work out because – Just because that doesn't mean it kind of did in a way. It's like Mm. instead of two people that are together or like a team of people or whatever it is together that aren't on the same path, program, vision, whatever it is, it's like, well, don't be there. Be somewhere else. But we know now.
1: And it's crazy. The way that like we're portrayed relationships in movies and media and everywhere is like almost everything gets portrayed as like toxic Mm. and a breakup has to be toxic. Like I've read a few things recently of different people who I kind of look up to that have had really amicable breakups. And I'm like, that's how it probably should be. If like our journeys aren't aligning on this next chapter, like that's okay. It's exactly like the chapter thing. It's like, if in these four chapters of the book, we're meant to be next to each other and we're thriving together, but then my book goes in this direction and he always goes in that direction. That's okay. Mm. We don't have to hang on to things. And I've got a really good, like my partner now is saying she has to go back to Brazil because of visa stuff and we have to look into doing that. And we've both kind of been like, we're just like going to really enjoy what we have together now in this chapter. And if in six months something can continue to work with like visas and stuff, epic. If not, like let's just appreciate what we've had together, not Mm. be bummed that it can't go longer. So it's like, it's cool.
0: Yeah. Just appreciating it for now, Mm. not for what could be later. Yeah. And I think when you can do that, man, like, yeah, that's when you start to go through life and just like, just a whole be here now kind of thing. Yeah. It's like, I think we think so far ahead or so far behind, like you're always like, oh, but this happened in the past or that can happen in the future. I'm like, yeah, but what's happening right? Mm. In this very moment, what is happening now? And like, that's the kind of mindfulness and taking a step and being in it. It's tricky. I was (laughs) going to ask you as well, because um, I saw a little thing you put up about, like, you don't drink alcohol at all. Mm. Was that a point you like stopped or was that something that you like, like, did you used to drink and you've just stopped or have you always been someone that hasn't really been much of a party or a drinker?
1: been a bit of a drinker. Sorry, I'm just looking at my phone. I've got a lunch in like yeah, 15 minutes. So we'll give, we'll make the alcohol this last part we'll, of our we'll, chat. We'll, we'll smash it out, yeah. Um, I'm sure you've probably got more things, yeah. but we can come back on <laughs> How, Do you normally do like three-hour ones? I,
0: I just kind of go, go for like as, as long, as, long as, as you need to. Yeah, I do. I like
1: honestly, yeah, I try not to stress about it. Hey. I mean, we're up here now. We can catch up again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the alcohol thing, nah, so I had, I mean, I've been you'd be the same like a professional athlete traveling the world for a long time without fa- parents. I've got involved in plenty of good times and partying and loose nights. And it's been a, a cornerstone of kind of most every event I've gone through for f- f- 10 years has been when the event's over, you go out and party and same thing at home with my friends, like most weekends partying. And I'd always had that voice telling me like, oh, you probably do this too much. Mm. But never really, and I'd do like, oh, I'm gonna take a month. I'm gonna take a few months off to really get ready for my comps, and I'd take a month off, and then I would do shit in the next event anyway. And be like, well, that didn't work, and I'd get back on it. And I never had a really bad relationship with alcohol, but like I said, my dad had a bit of a problem with it. He's ten years sober, and then I had a neuroscientist on my podcast back in April this year, Dr. Nicola, Lepe- um, Nicola that's the other doctor, um, Dr. Nicole Vignola, this lady from the UK, and we spoke about the effects of a whole range of things on the brain from drugs alcohol to gratitude to all these things and when we spoke about attitude, um alcohol i she went on to talk about these new studies that are showing that just up to seven drinks a week classifies you as a chronic drinker and i was like far out i was drinking seven drinks a week for the last 10 years and i was about two weeks away from my 28th birthday and i was like far i've drunk alcohol legally from 18 to 28 10 years surely i can do 10 years on one year off and on that podcast i was like you know what i'll pledge to you f- Right now, from when this episode comes out next week, I won't have a drink for a year. I'll see what improvements I can see in my life, and yeah, since then it's been seven months. I haven't had a drink, a drop of alcohol, and it's been really cool. It's been a good experience. I documented. I do a podcast episode weekly about it. I bring people on the journey. It's been one of my most listened to episodes, and it's really cool to see the community that's built and inspired by me doing this challenge. And I didn't do it to get any recognition, I did it for my own personal health and for my own personal understanding to know if I can do it. It's like, if I can't take a year off, then who's in control? Like the alcohol mm. companies and my peers pressuring me or me. Mm. So that was part of the challenge. And the reason I document it is to keep myself accountable. If I didn't mm. have that podcast weekly episode, then I probably would be like, Oh fuck no one. like Who cares? Yeah. I'll just have a drink. Yeah. So yeah. Been- and it links
0: in so well with mental health because I think our culture, especially like I'm from a small kind of country town, And it's like you get people that go into depression and then they turn to alcohol as like the cure and then they get down that rabbit hole. So it's like you're kind of two birds, one stone Mm. here with not doing it. And you kind of realize that it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't serve you in a way that you want it to serve you. Mm. It's like you're using it as like a band-aid for a bigger issue that you need to actually address. And then I guess you're giving that, like you're you're actually giving the solution through mindfulness and Mm. helping people and all that. So it's like, don't turn to that, turn to this.
1: Yeah, it's just kind of, trying to build awareness to alcohol how often do you drink it how mm. much is it affecting you is it financially affecting you is it affecting your relationships is it affecting your own just overall well-being is it stopping mm. you from being able to achieve things that you want to achieve in life like i said either financially socially physically it can affect us like there's mm. so many negative there's no positives to alcohol it's a poison that we put in our body to make us get out of our mind a little bit mm. so it's yeah it's, you
0: know it's a real determining factor like i'd I drink now and again, but not often. But I did a podcast with a friend of mine, and on the podcast, we just had like a glass of wine each, or oh, he maybe had a bottle of wine or something. We're drinking and talking, and as the podcast goes on, like we start swearing, we start like just it just it changes you. It changed, a bit, and I listened back to it. I was like, I don't like that. Like that's like I, like I was like, yeah, I don't want to talk like that. I don't want to do that. Yeah, sorry. We'll leave. No, no, you're good. Really we'll good. So um. I don't want to be like that. And then I was like, why would I want to be that around other people if I don't want to be that and listen back to it myself? Mm. So it kind of made me think about it. And I normally, if I drink now, I'm like two, three drinks. You get to that like kind of fun tipsy stage. I'm like, all right, this is me good. Yeah. Start drinking water. And then you kind of watch everyone else deteriorate in a way. And it's just like, I'm happy at that point. But yeah. Like I can know some people push it, yeah, way too far. But it was just like... I just don't see the point of going past that. I feel like it's all downhill after yeah, that.
1: Yeah, because most people push it so far because they're not happy with the normal version of them because mm. they're like, don't do the work. But it's, mm. yeah, when and we, we can like talk for hours and this yeah. stuff.
0: And just the culture as well around that is like people pushing you into doing it for their own insecurities and like they want you to drink because they don't feel comfortable within themselves. So they like, you drink and then I'll feel better because I'll drink and it's just yeah. like, I feel good. I'm happy already. Yeah, like I'm exactly. dancing, it's all good.
1: Yeah, yeah it's, it's hard. That's what I've noticed going out quite a lot sober is how many people well i see myself in other people i'm like yeah. oh that's fucking me that's yeah. me drinking like that's me making a fool of my like and with not judgment of that person because that's been me for so long mm. but just being like wow i'm like yeah a bit more conscious of it yeah. which has been good yeah i'll let you shoot off because you gotta go no, to no. We'll, and we'll catch up again i gotta get you on my podcast i'm frothing it tell your story <laughs> and get you down um, have a chat but yeah uh, no, i me. find
0: it um yeah, I find it funny, like, yeah, how Sam said, like, i got to meet this guy, it's a very, very similar pass, hey? I just found it really interesting that you kind of got it from your parents' side of things, and I got it from myself, like, that's the yeah. probably, like, one major, I guess, um, difference in that sense, but then from that, it's like we've had the same kind of goal, I guess, Yeah, in, like, helping people, and even the athlete thing, and the transition from athlete, and the vision of how you see yourself, and where you actually see the happiness, and all because like I was saying before, when I was going to World Cups, like I was more excited to record podcasts than I was to race. And that was like, wait, what? Like why yeah. is that Why is that where my energy is gone? Because I would record podcasts the night before World Cups, but I'd still do really well. Like it was mm. like this good balance, but I was doing it like, again, with a shitty mic on a laptop. But when you love something like that and you're so passionate, it's like, yeah, just start doing it. And then it was rubbing over to my racing as well. So I'd be making these cool podcasts and then doing well in racing. And, a good time. Yeah. yeah. And I was just like, I'm just going to try and, do that again and, like, sit in, like, being that. But, like I said, it takes more work. So now I think, yeah, get someone to work for me and try and, like, build it that way. And, yeah. Yeah. It's a cool spot now because there's so much growth for it and so many avenues. It's just, like, putting the yeah, work to make it happen.
1: And it's fun. It just gives people a platform to share their stories, which is, like, a lot mm. of people don't have that. So it's cool to build somewhere that people can share their story and people get to know what they do and support what they're doing mm. as well, which is nice.
0: And like you said before, just, like, listening to someone, like, actually, and then... Cause that's a trait no, we don't do. Like you're always you're not listening. You're waiting to speak. Mm, and once you I actually that quote, that's one of my favorites. Yeah, it's just like and once you actually stop and go. Because I was talking to a friend about going to see like a sports psych, and he's like, "Oh yeah," but sometimes it's like they they don't say the right things. So I'm like, honestly, but just having someone listen, like I I could just talk for an hour and he just listens and I'm like, "Oh, I figured it out myself." It's yeah. like, it's like when I ask the kids, "What do you think you should do to be a faster racer?" and they know. So it's like if your psych said what's going on and you explain it, you're like, "Oh." It's yeah, like... then it out line, loud sometimes. Yes, exactly. Like, being accountable in your own words and saying it out loud. Like, the whole David Goggins record yourself, you're being a bitch. It's like, you say it out loud. It's like, oh, you're being said because of this, 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 and this. Like, this. I've learned
1: so much about myself from being guest on other podcasts where they've asked me a question and it's made me think and being like, oh, that is why I'm that way. Like, I've yeah. learned so much about myself by people asking me questions and having to, like, reflect yeah. so much. Can no, I ask you three
0: last questions yeah, before good. you shoot off? So, the, the first one I always ask people is, Um if you could go back and like give advice to your younger self or like give advice to people now, like what would that be? If you like, you had like one kind of, I guess it, it can be pretty broad, but like advice that you could like look back that you could, would do differently now.
1: Oh, to be honest, I wouldn't do anything differently. It's like, I got told by so many people, like we all, we get all the good advice is already out there. Like I always got told like, you got to work really hard. You got to do that. And I look back and I probably could have worked harder and, not cut certain corners with my surfing but that might have led me down a path that didn't lead me to where I am right now so I think the best advice I'd give myself back then is just be curious be more curious I felt like I was curious back then but like find ways that you can improve realize that there's more than one way to get to the right answer and just always be willing to learn and listen to people that's probably the biggest bit of advice I wish I, I could tell myself at 17 is just listen and find the reason why people are giving you the advice they're giving you. Don't bite back at it and always have an answer to advice.
0: Mm. No, I like, the, yeah, just be open, be a sponge, mm. soak it up.
1: Yeah. And if somebody says something that doesn't align and it isn't good, like constructive criticism, just don't like bite to it. Don't let it eat you up. Just be like, Oh, there's merit to certain things, but if not, it's all good.
0: Mm. Next time. What are you scared of?
1: I'm scared of not reaching my potential. Yeah.
0: Is that always been something that you've kind of felt even like obviously when you're an athlete or is that something that's like...
1: I think that was always an underlying fear and it probably was something that I, as an athlete, I was scared of. I was scared of not getting to that world tour and now that I didn't get to it, I'm like, well, it's not as scary as I thought it was. Mm. It's like, hmm. So yeah, I think a fear of not reaching my potential like in just life and not going hard at it and achieving big things because I feel like I'm pu- truly capable of achieving some amazing things in life um also scared of getting um a big head i think mm. like scared of not being humble is another thing that yeah, you i never want to do i feel like i'm very far from cocky or egotistical but with growth comes yeah another level another devil to deal with yeah, <laughs> um, yeah we'll see as as it grows and there might be ego that comes with it so yeah i'm scared of that
0: yeah i can see that because it's like obviously. Yeah, you actually do the, you do the first goal and the second, yeah, like you said, the level and other demon. Mm. Um, and the last one, how do you want to be remembered?
1: I want to just be remembered as someone who truly cared, somebody who cared about people who put others before themselves. I feel like, yeah, I don't know. I just want to be remembered as that guy that people left feeling better. They're like, oh, far out. That, mm. Like I feel good after hanging out with that person. That's how I want to be remembered.
0: And you think with that because there's so much now where people – are that but it's like it's for a reason like for an example it's like people be nice just so people see them being nice Mm. in the way of like you always see people like give money out but they film themselves giving money out yeah it's like you're only being nice so you get those views that then builds your thing it's like not genuine genuinely being nice and it's that weird balance of like i see that because it is a good thing because i get really caught up in this where it's like i want to help but you don't want to just help so people see you helping. And yeah, I think that, it's do
1: more than you show. Yeah, exactly. It's like, as long as you're doing more behind the scenes and if you're only doing and showing that... That's it, yeah. Then, yeah, that might be you're doing it for that reason. Mm. But I post stuff... I feel weird posting, like, people sending me messages saying... Um, yeah, that you've helped them in That I've some helped point. them on my Instagram, but I also do it because, for one, it gives credibility to other people, mm. but it's like I'm doing a lot more than just, like, what... Those, like messages about a podcast it's like i'm doing workshops and doing other mm. stuff so it's like if some i mean and the reason i post that is because if somebody else sees it and goes oh wow that's the mm. effect it's had on that person maybe it can for me as well so it's like very rarely is anything ever trying to like stroke my own ego it's like it's mm. all just trying to grow because the more the business grows the more people i can reach and mm. positively impact
0: But that's a skill as well to like see that in your, like, see, like, knowing how much, it's, like, just, you need to care all the time. Like, mm. that's what you said before, it's, like, you can't just be, like, I'm a good person on camera here, or I'm a good person in this sense. It's, like, yeah. yeah it's a full-time job. I think when I was being, you being an athlete, it's, like, sometimes you can just be an athlete when you're being an athlete, and then mm. outside of that, you're not. It's, like, you just need to be
1: that good person yeah and that's what the good human factory is yeah. like the good human factory is created because there's that little voice that we all have like our morals mm. telling you when you're not being a good human it's like for me it's all about trying to listen to that good human more mm. trying to live up to what good values truly entail in your own
0: reality I really got this image of like one day there's going to be this massive yellow building and it's going to be like Willy Wonka chocolate like, <laughs> chocolate factory The good you, human the factory. good human factory and you've just got to come in and it's like there's like float tanks and salt baths and saunas and you're just like in this I don't know Willy Wonka outfit and you <laughs> <laughs> imagine gold tickets. You send gold. That would be a, that's that's an idea there. That is a good idea. But actually, do like proper gold tickets. Like you yeah. don't like no QR codes, no like enter a thing to win. Like you get like a gold good human ticket. <laughs> that'd be funny. I reckon that would be. No, pretty there's lots lots
1: of, lots of uh, exciting opportunities ahead. But no, excited to work with you more, man. Yeah. It's good you're on the gold. We'll definitely be hanging out a bunch. That's you teach me how to ride <laughs> bike. <laughs> <Yeah>. We'll <laughs> trade. I went for a surf
0: this morning. I'm like
1: slowly getting it, but All right, yeah, we'll, we'll swap. it. All perfect. Right. Thank you very Dude, much. You're the best. <laughs> Thanks, Apes. You. <laughs> <sighs> Dude, that was sick. Is yeah, sorry, I'm going to have to run. I'm nah, I'm fucking
0: done. Done.